That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ryan Koberger's defense attorneys can now review some potentially key DNA evidence in the case against the accused murderer. We break down the judge's ruling with law professor Jules Epstein. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. All right, so we have an update for you in the Brian Koberger case. And the question is, how big of a deal is it? What do we make of it? Now, to recap, Brian Koberger is the Washington State University grad student accused of murdering four University of Idaho students back in November of 2022. Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Haley Gonzalez, and Madison Mogan. They were all found stabbed to death inside of a large off-campus rental house at the University of Idaho. There was a massive police investigation as basically the entire Moscow Police Department started looking for who did this. And after this massive investigation, about six weeks after the murders, authorities arrested then 28-year-old Brian Koberger at his parents' home in Pennsylvania, where he was spending Christmas break. They extradited him back to Idaho. They charged him with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of burglary. A grand jury looked over the evidence that prosecutors collected and officially indicted Brian Koberger on the charges, and the state has announced that it will be seeking the death penalty. Now, while a trial date has been set yet, we are moving towards an actual trial. In fact, prosecutor Bill Thompson has asked for it to be set for this summer. We'll wait and see if that actually happens. But one of the central issues in this case, one of the key pieces of evidence that we have talked about extensively here on Sidebar is DNA, right? Because that DNA from a knife sheath left behind at the crime scene is linked to Brian Koberger. Authorities were able to make a familial match of the DNA to Koberger's father. They did this by collecting trash from outside the Koberger's home in Pennsylvania. Then after Koberger was arrested, Authorities took a cheek swab from him. The court documents reveal that the DNA recovered from the sheath is an almost identical match to Koberger. Well, now the defense may have been given a win. Maybe. Let me bring in Jules Epstein, Edward D. Allbound Professor of Law at Temple University Beasley School of Law, our resident evidence expert here on Sidebar. So good to see you. Um, I think this is going to be the last one that I say. Happy New Year. I've said it. It's, it's already, what is it? It's already in the middle of January, but I'm going to give you my final Happy New Year. Happy New Year, sir. And back to you and hopefully a great New Year for everybody. I hope so, too. So I'm happy to talk to you about this because let me just give everybody a preamble here. We know that Koberger's defense team for months, months, has been asking the prosecution to turn over DNA records, the materials that were held by the FBI and this private lab, Othram, that apparently performed the DNA tests in the case, 
prosecution fought back on this, saying they didn't have access to the records because they were in the custody of the FBI. They said they never saw them. And they even requested a protective order. The judge in this case, Judge John Judge, yes, that's his name, reviewed the materials, and he has ordered the prosecution that they have to turn over to the defense some DNA records about investigative genetic genealogy used in the case. Again, namely how the material was entered into a public genealogy database. The court said uh, the court has now completed its review of the information provided by the state and orders the state to discover to the defense a portion of the IgG information. With all of that, what do you think? It may be much ado about nothing. Let me try and tell you why. Um, What you called familial DNA searching is a means to an end. In other words, it's an investigation. And so it's a tool. And if you find some DNA at a crime scene and you run it through the database and it doesn't hit on an individual, you next expand the search criteria, so to speak. Is it close to anybody's? Okay, it's close to dad. Well, we know dad wasn't there. Who's dad related to? Son. And then as you put it, they got the confirmatory DNA. So this is a complaint about how did you get me, not am I the guy? If I'm correct on that, unless there are other DNA records that raise problems, the issues are not what will the jury hear, because juries don't normally hear about you know, your dad's DNA or your cousin's in the database or whatever. The issue is, can I, the defendant, challenge that in some way? You violated my privacy or my family's privacy or the privacy of other people, or you violated some state law because one or two states ban familial searching. I don't believe that to be the case in this state. So the problem Brian will face, assuming I'm correct, is that his privacy rights are not really violated when you're looking in a database and finding his father's DNA. So I'm not sure where they're going to go with this. Um, The only other thing I can think of is sort of a garbage in, garbage out argument that they got the wrong information in this intergenerational search, that that somehow polluted everything else. But to me, it doesn't answer once you arrest him and you take that cheek swab and you match it to the sheath, how we got there is not, to me, a significant trial issue. By the way, talking about complicated legal issues in the Koberger criminal case, I got to say, even in personal injury cases like lawsuits, which you would think are relatively straightforward, they can be really complicated. And that's aside from the fact that it's also incredibly scary if you get hurt, knowing what to do next, where to turn. It's not so simple. Well, our partner and sponsor of this video, Morgan & Morgan, the largest injury law firm in America, may be able to help in all of this. That is because Morgan & Morgan is going to make it super easy for you because they have completely modernized the process. You submit your claim, you sign contracts, you upload documents, you talk to your whole legal team, all on your phone. That's it. 
An attorney is going to review your case in just eight clicks. They also have 4,000 support staff that can help you through all aspects of the process too, which is just incredible to think about. And if you're concerned about price, you only pay them if you win. There's no upfront fee. So if you're injured and you want to join the over 3 million people that call them every year, you can submit a claim at forthepeople.com slash LC sidebar or by dialing pound law. That's pound 529 on your phone. All right, let's get back into it with uh, Brian Koberger. So if, for example, we had a situation, and the way that I understand it is that the use of the DNA was not the end-all, be-all, as you said, that they used that to arrest him. It was a tool that they then used to further investigate him, and we know the evidence about everything else. If it comes out that that was used as the sole way to arrest him or the sole rationale to arrest him, could that be a legal issue? Um, is that the concern, one of the concerns from the defense, that this was the end-all, be-all, that it wasn't just a tool, that it was used more than the prosecution is claiming right now? Let's first start there if that's going to be an issue for Brian, uh, uh, issue for Brian Koberger to exploit. Okay. It's certainly an issue for the defense to look at. I'm not sure there's much law that supports it. Okay. okay. Again, let me let me give you an analogy. Suppose somebody just called the police and said, yo, there's a father in Pennsylvania, check their DNA, and they check their DNA. However they got to dad, that's not something Brian can complain about because his personal rights were not violated. Mm-hmm. So that unless there's a state law that says, Anyone who's affected by a familial DNA search has what we call standing, the right to say, hey, I can object to this. I'm not sure where it goes. Is there an argument I haven't been made familiar with? Possibly. I can tell you that having researched this in the last 24 hours, to refresh my memory on familial DNA after I got your kind invitation. Um, There are, as I said, only a couple of states that limit it by law. Well, first of all, you're not combing through the Brian Koberger documents on a regular basis without me even saying anything. First, big surprise there. but, but, But more importantly than that, just the way that I understand it, the FBI constructed this family tree through IgG, through Investigative Genetic Genealogy. And then the FBI then sent that tip to local law enforcement about Brian Koberger. That's when they got the trash. And the defense wants to know specific details about how law enforcement used IgG to identify Koberger as the suspect, which we just talked about. But it seems they may also want to know about testing that was done on other male DNA found at the scene. So now we're talking about potential other suspects that may have been overlooked by law enforcement. The fact that now the judge has handed over this material to the defense, whether it's a win or not, it's definitely beneficial for them because now they have the materials to go through. It's a small win for them, I guess, in that sense. But the idea of now maybe using it to point the finger at somebody else, should we expect that? Uh, There are two things you can do with evidence like that. If there's some other person's DNA at the scene, A, to the extent the police did not follow up, you have an argument of a flawed or incomplete investigation. 
And there's actually a, a U.S. Supreme Court case that says there's a right for the defense to say, wait a minute, you didn't check everything. Needless to say, if we can identify the source, say it's Jules Epstein, and it turns out Jules Epstein has a pattern of break-ins or something, it could lead the defense to say, we have an alternative suspect. So it's alternative suspect and or inadequate investigation based on what you're telling me. And to be clear also, the reason we're speculating a little bit about what the defense has or what they're going to do with it is because in the order from the judge, it says, quote, the specific material to be provided is set forth in a sealed order to protect the privacy of the IgG information, including individuals on the family tree. Walk me through what the concern is there. Is it giving away the methodologies of this of law enforcement? Is it also protecting who on the family tree? Walk us through why there's privacy here. Well, maybe it's just that in that family tree, there's cousin Jesse and cousin Jules who don't want to be known as the relatives of Brian. So the Fair. judge is saying, okay, I got that. I'm going to give you the information, but I'm either going to white out the names of Jesse and Jules, or I'm telling you defense lawyers, you can't disclose that further because Jesse and Jules have their own privacy interests, and I'm trying to balance Ryan's needs to create, or not create, to present a defense and third-party privacy. That's what I took that to mean. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And to be clear also about why there's so much talk about the DNA, because I, I've made this argument before. I think it is such a strong piece of evidence that some would say it, it, the linchpin of the whole case. Some have said the, the smoking gun of the case. Just to put a bow on this, the analysis on that knife sheath, it shows how unique the protein sequences are. So the National Institute of Justice has said, Quote, a collection of these can give nearly irrefutable evidence statistically of a person's identity because the likelihood of two unrelated people having the same number of repeated sequences in these regions becomes increasingly small as more regions are analyzed. And in the prosecution's filing in this case, they say, quote, the STR profile is at least 5.37 octillion times more likely to be seen if the defendant is the source than if an unrelated individual randomly selected from the general population is the source. And I have said this before, but I always look to the Jerry Burns case in Iowa, which we covered here on Long Cried Crime. This is a guy who was convicted of murdering Michelle Martinko back in the 1970s, a cold case for decades. There was no eyewitnesses. There was no surveillance. There was no text messages. There was no GPS data. They took crime scene DNA, blood, compared it to data from a genea genealogical uh, database that got a pool of people, including Burns. They then collected a straw he discarded at a restaurant, and the DNA on the straw was consistent with the blood on Martinko's dress. They were able to match right. his DNA. Um, now, this is a little bit different, right? I mean, 
I, I, I've interviewed other, uh, other experts about this before, and they said, well, the DNA that's on the knife sheath may not be as strong as, for example, the Martinko case because you might not be dealing with something like blood. Um, walk me through, if we can, Jules, the strength of this DNA on the knife sheath and how big of a role it's going to play and how much the defense can actually uh, question its accuracy. There are a couple of possibilities. One is they say they're wrong. Number two is they say it's somehow contaminated. Number three, innocent touch evidence. I go to a store, I pick up this knife, she, oh, this is interesting, and I'm not going to buy it, okay? I'm not suggesting the strength of any of those arguments, but the flip side is of all the knife sheets that happened to be found at the crime scene is one that you just happened to touch at a knife store where we also know you're driving around that night and so on and so forth. It seems to me to be a tremendously powerful piece of circumstantial evidence, assuming the DNA analysis was done well. I mean, I've said it, the idea here that out of all places, not only that out of all the knife sheets, forget about the DNA not on the doorknob, the DNA not on the carpet, the DNA not, those could be explained away, right? I'm not saying this DNA is there, but, you know, it's not like we're talking about his DNA on all these places in the house because it was a party house. People went there. Out of all places, it's on the knife sheath, what seems to be the housing for the potential murder weapon, even though it hasn't been recovered. It just is such a powerful piece of evidence, and uh, I can understand why the defense wants to question in any which way. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. I think the defense has been quite creative in their defenses, um, and so uh, I'm going to be eager to see what comes from it. But Jules Epstein, thank you so much for coming on. Always appreciate your insight. I wanted to get your perspective on this. Thank you again. Thank you for all that you do on giving such great in-depth coverage. Have a great day. Always appreciate that. Thanks, Jules. All right, everybody, that is all we have for you right now here on Sidebar. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. Speak to you next time.